beyond politics and above religion, a moral authority exists known globally as the ageless wisdom. It's the study of consciousness, the mystery of awareness, which cannot be measured, yet will not be denied. This podcast from Michael Benner's Wisdom of the Soul class features weekly lessons in metaphysics, mysticism, and esoteric philosophy. Those who attend live and free of charge on Zoom may also participate in group meditation and Q&A. Register for our newsletter at michaelbenner.com. Welcome to the Ageless Wisdom Mystery School with Michael Benner. Worry is like a rocking chair. You sit in the chair and you rock back and forth, and it feels like you're getting a lot done. Maybe you're burning a lot of calories. I guess this works for a treadmill, too. You can jump on the treadmill and and uh, walk four or five miles. Yeah, I walked a mile on my treadmill this morning. But when you get off, you're right where you were. You didn't really do much. So worry is like uh, you fret, you wring your hands, your mind races, you lay awake at night. What'll I do? What'll I do? Or often it's a concern about others. What do they think about me? It's impossible, of course, to know. Even if they tell you, (laughs) even if they tell you what they think, you don't know what they really think. Hell, they don't know what they really think. Because they think they're the thinker. And it gets all convoluted and crazy. So then the problem resolves itself, because it would have anyway, and they always do. Nothing is permanent. Everything has its coming and going. And so in time, the problem passes and uh, you, you take credit for it. I know this only because uh, I've been here a million times. Oh, thank God we solved the problem. What'd you do about it, Michael? Oh, I worried a lot. I rocked and rocked and rocked and rocked and rocked in that chair. Then the problem resolves itself and I take credit as if uh, all that worrying had some benefit. And it doesn't. Because what are you putting your attention on? All the things that could go wrong. How's the mind work? Well, the mind works according to the law of attraction. That you reap what you sow, karma. So, worry is putting your attention on what you're trying to avoid. And making up undesirable outcomes (laughs) that you wish to avoid... All you're doing is feeding the problem. If you if you wanted to worry elegantly, you'd put your attention on all the different ways it can be solved. Maybe we think that's what we're doing, but often it's not. So we need to look at the difference between deductive and inductive logic. And this can be dry, but... It also can be absolutely fascinating. So put your thinking caps on here and let's do our best to make this interesting because it really is fascinating to understand the two basic types of reasoning. It's not like there's 15 different ways that we reason and we're going to go over them all. There's only two ways to be logical. 
two ways to reason, deductive and inductive. Deductive, you're much more familiar with, so let's start with that. Deductive logic goes back to our buddy Aristotle. It is general to specific. That's all you need to know at the beginning. Deductive logic and deduce means to subtract, right? To deduct. Deductive logic goes from a general concept, a large set of knowledge, and you break it down. You take it apart. This is how algebra works. You've got this big formula, these constants and these variables, and addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, uh, exponents, equal to another set of constants and variables and operations. And the way to solve the problem, let's say it's just uh, there's an unknown in there, there's an X in there someplace, you start pulling out information. You say, well, I've got a plus two on this side. So what if I subtract two from that and two from the other side? Then I can get rid of this plus two. And you deduce it. You, you winnie out the variables. You pull them out until there's nothing left except x equals whatever. If you want to write a check, you want to pay or something. I guess most people don't write checks anymore. You want to use your <laughs> your bank card, your Venmo, uh, your Zelle, your Apple Pay, or whatever. You have to have a sense of how much is in that account. So you open up your Venmo app, and the first thing it tells you how much is in your account, and you subtract in your mind how much you're going to pay to make sure there's enough money in there. There's still a going to be some money left. To do that without thinking, gosh, it feels like there's enough money in here to write this check. Uh, it feels like there ought to be, there should be. Of course, Venmo wouldn't let you do that. Google Pay or Apple Pay, the way we pay for things now, would just reject it. You don't, sorry, you don't have the money, you can't do that. <laughs> It'll stop you. But uh, that's why I, I use the example of writing a check. Feeling like there ought to be enough money in there is, is not very smart. You can't just feel as so many people do in so many areas of their life. Well, uh, how do you know that uh, this is bad or wrong or dangerous? Well, it feels like it ought to be. Well, how do you know this is good or wonderful or will provide a benefit? Well, because it feels like it should. That is not thinking. That's not thinking. That's arriving at a decision based on how you feel. So the most popular form of logic, of reasoning, of analysis, is deductive. Take apart thinking, general to specific. Another example, how do you order food from a menu? You go to a restaurant, you're given a menu. That's a limited set of possibilities. You have to choose, unless it's, maybe it's an exceptional restaurant, and you can just order out of your imagination. Could you bring me this and this and this? Most restaurants, no, if it's not on the menu, we can't do it. Or if we could, we wouldn't know what to charge you. You got to work with us. Stay, to the, stay with the menu. Well, you might think that we have a process 
for deciding what we want by looking over the menu other than deductive thinking. But all we have is deductive thinking in, in most cases. So while you think you're going through a process of deciding what you want, the first step is to decide what you do not want. You're subtracting. You say, well, this menu is divided into breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then there's some side dishes and some beverages and desserts. And, well, I don't want desserts. I want a meal, a breakfast. It's too late in the day. I don't really feel like breakfast. That's out. Dinner, I think that's too much. I'd rather have more of a lunch, something smaller, lighter, sandwichy like. And don't you see that you're eliminating? Now we're down to the sandwich menu. And we eliminate this and this and this and this. Never did like these things. Don't want that. That doesn't appeal to me. And we get down to two or three things. And then we choose from what's remaining. That's deductive logic. It's how arithmetic works. It's how we solve all of our problems. We take them apart. Oh, this watch doesn't work. I guess I'll take it apart and break it down into little pieces. What's going on with the car? I don't know. Let's look under the hood. Well, we troubleshoot. Well, does the battery work? Could it be the coil? Are the plugs sparking? You, you, you break it down. That, that's pretty much all we've got. However, there is a form of logic that is the complementary way of thinking that we need to know about and understand if we're going to be good, reasonable philosophers and metaphysicians and spiritually oriented people. And that's inductive logic. Now, inductive logic didn't come around until the, I think, 17th century, early 1600s. And the father of inductive logic is Sir Francis Bacon. And Bacon was a big fan of the scientific method and repeated experimentation and trying this and trying that and gathering information. And he pondered deductive logic in, in reasoning. And could, could there be another way? Can we go from specific to general? And that's what inductive logic is. And he wrote extensively about this. He's credited as being the father of inductive logic. So if deductive logic is general to specific, break it down, take it apart. Inductive logic is specific to general. This is really all you need to remember about logic is am I deducting, which is the vast majority of cases, am I Am I eliminating to break it down to find the solution? Or do I have many observed details and I want to find the continuity, the common thread or the link in all these observed specifics? How do you do that? It's a, inductive logic is a conjecture. You see, deductive logic is a certainty. It breaks things down to that which is certain. If we think all crows are black, and this is a crow, then it must be black. But if we say all blackbirds are crows, 
Or even, no, let's say it this way. If all crows are black, if I have a black bird, that doesn't make it a crow. Well, you got to work with this a little. If you know for a fact that all crows are black, and you know you have a crow, you've eliminated it's not a robin, it's not a bluebird, it's not a hawk, this is definitely a crow, then it must be black. It doesn't follow, you have to be careful when you go into the inductive. Well, I have a black bird, therefore it must be a crow. There's a difference between all crows are black and all black birds are crows. So the problem with inductive logic, the specific to general, is when you generalize, it's only a conjecture. You can't have the certainty that deductive logic provides. So you can say, well, this is a black bird. I'm going to say it's a crow until I find out otherwise. I'm going to assume, I'm going to project. This creates a lot of prejudice, a lot of stereotypes, a lot of relying on your history. This is, this is why you're taught in school to distinguish between anecdotal evidence and a clearly understood, well-demonstrated deduction. My deduction, all crows are black, is good until I find a crow that's not black. Then you gotta, the whole thing gets thrown into a cocktail and you gotta start all over again. So in discussing the difference between deductive and inductive logic, it's important to understand that inductive logic is not nearly as reliable as the near certainty of deductive logic because it starts with all things known and you break it down. So whatever you break it down to is known because it's part of the set of all known things, general to specific. Therefore, this crow must be black. The problem with inductive logic, the generalization is that it's uncertain. You may have just a handful of crows. You've only seen six crows in your life. And you're assuming that therefore all crows are black. But you don't really know. If, however, you dedicate your life to studying crows and you read the literature on other people who've studied crows and you're creating this big set of every crow that's ever been seen is, uh, is black. Well, then you can deduce that, therefore, any crow that you'll ever discover is black. But if you've only seen a half a dozen crows in your whole life, and you've never read of any study, and based on this anecdotal evidence, well, I've seen six crows, therefore, uh, all crows must be black until I find one that's not. And Then, of course, you find the aberration or the exception and your generalization, your, your conjecture is thrown into a cocktail. So only two forms of logic, deductive and inductive. Deductive logic is certain because you're beginning with what you already know and breaking it down. Inductive is always uncertain because you're trying to generalize about a set of specifics and maybe a very small set. But that's not all the mind does. When we talk about logic and reasoning, there's a, an assumption of intentionality behind it. 
I'm deliberately and purposefully reasoning. But that's not all that goes on. We just did an exercise of trying to quiet the mind. And when you think about meditation, get it straight. You don't need to quiet or calm the mind in order to meditate. You meditate so as to <laughs> develop an ability to sit quietly and allow the mind to petition you less. You meditate to quiet the mind, not the other way around. And what are we quieting, if not reasoning? That ought to be easy to stop reasoning, or stop being reasonable. So what else is going on besides logic, inductive or deductive? Intrusive thoughts. Sometimes this is referred to as dream of consciousness. Well, you're always conscious. Even when you're unconscious, you're conscious. It's one of the difficulties of studying consciousness is the word has so many meanings. If you see a person asleep or in a coma, you might say, well, they're unconscious. But if they're sleeping and uh, the alarm goes off, they wake up. So some part of them Though they were unconscious, some part remains conscious enough to hear the alarm clock. So you can't really say they're unconscious, but we do. That's just the beginning of how confused we are about the nature of awareness and consciousness. So what are these intrusive thoughts? It's the agenda of the unconscious mind. And remember, we don't have two minds, conscious and then unconscious. There's just one mind that's mostly unconscious. And like an iceberg, just a little bit of it sticks up above the water. What is it? Seven-eighths or nine-tenths of the iceberg you never see. So it is with the mind. The conscious mind that you've identified by your name and the image you see in the mirror and the people who've known you all your life your personality, your persona, your ego, the part of you that identifies as a separated being, that conscious self is just the tip of the iceberg. Intrusive thoughts are the workings of the unconscious mind, bubbling up, petitioning you for attention, demanding that you fear this, insisting that you be worried about that, presuming that you and only you can solve all of these problems and heal all of this heartache and upset and frustration. And you must do that consciously and deliberately. Even though the very thoughts that are telling you to do it are not conscious and not deliberate. They bubble up into the consciousness. They bubble up into awareness. But they come from this uh, swamp <laughs> of largely negative, worrisome, um, fatalistic, fearful concepts or thoughts. And we sit there entertaining these intrusive thoughts as if it's us thinking. Hey, Joe, what are you doing? Oh, I was just thinking. What were you thinking about? Well, I don't know. I guess I was just sort of trying to figure out what I'm going to do about this or that or something else. Did you do that deliberately and purposefully? No, no, actually, 
it's pretty, I pretty much feel like I'm a victim of intrusive thinking. It, that's why it's called intrusive. It intrudes upon <laughs> whatever else you're doing, what you'd like to be doing, being happy and content, kind and loving and generous and prosperous and fun-loving. Oh, and then here come these weighty of intrusive thoughts. You can't have that. You can't do that. What about this? What about that? Well, here's 15 different ways this can fall apart. Because you're not really very good. Have you forgotten how many times you've failed? And you can't have this, and you don't deserve that. And if you got it, you'd probably screw it up anyway. Have you forgotten all the other? How am I doing? Is this, is this familiar to you? I've got a voice in my head that says this stuff all the time to me. And people say, Michael, how do I stop that? And I say, friend, you don't stop it. You can relax, and it quiets but you'll never stop it. What you can do is not pick it up. Just leave it there. Don't identify with it. I'm that. I'm not that worry. You don't have to believe. Every, <laughs> you don't have to believe every thought that passes through your head and lift it up into the logical mind, deductive or inductive, and start to shred it or slice it or dice it break it into bite-sized pieces. You don't have to do any of that. If you want to affirm a thought that bubbled up out of the unconscious, oh, that's a great idea. Wow, what a wonderful idea. Then embrace that idea, affirm that idea. Yes, yes. What a wonderful, what a wonderful insight that was. Yes. But most of the time it's going to be garbage. It's going to be horrible and negative self-doubting, just destructive as hell. Even though it's really the brain's intention to try to keep you safe. It's a survival impulse that is driving all of this negativity. But if it's nonsense, if it's BS, if given the way the mind works, that you reap what you sow, karma, right? You get what you expect. You go where you look. If you look at what you're trying to avoid, you're going to move toward the very thing you wish to avoid by dwelling upon it. You have to recognize the things you wish to avoid and then, as quickly as possible, turn your attention to that which you wish to create or manifest. So if I'm skiing down the slope and in the middle of this open space there's one giant tree if I look at the tree and try to avoid it on my skis, every action that I take will be countermanded by the unconscious. It says, you reap what you sow. This is your karma. You go where you look. You get what you expect. If you look at that tree, no matter how you dig in your poles or shift your body weight, you'll come right back to the tree. Boing. I learned this motorcycling. If there's a rock on the road, you look at the rock and steer around it, you hit the rock. You have to look at the path around the obstacle and then zoom, you go there. So we do have to manage our thoughts. But intrusive thoughts are so much garbage. It's noon, so I'm going to wrap this up and go to your questions and answers here. So when it comes to these unconscious intrusive thoughts, you don't have to lift every one of those up into the logical mind. If you want to affirm it, embrace it. 
But for the vast majority of unconscious intrusive thinking, just let it go. You may have to do that repeatedly. Let it go. Let it go. Look at it long enough to determine its irrelevance or does it have relevance? Is there some benefit in this negative thought? You get a negative thought driving on the freeway, some negative thought comes up. What if my tire blows out and I swerve into the median and have a horrible accident? Well, you can let go of all of that, but you may want to say, you know, I think I got thirty or 40,000 miles on these tires. Maybe I should check them out. Might be a good idea. But you don't need to keep driving and freaking out about what if. Just let that go. Put it on your in your phone, on your calendar, have tires checked out, put it on your to-do list, and then let it go. The vast majority of this intrusive stuff is not only negative, it's harmful, though usually irrelevant. And then there's intuition. So there's deductive logic, inductive logic, both conscious and purposeful, intrusive thoughts, which are unconscious and full of negativity, and part of the stress and anxiety of life that ages us and creates disease and frustrates us in relationships, and so many of our problems can be traced to this holding on to this negative noise in your head. And then there's intuition. Intuition is not illogical, but it is non-logical. And it feels very different than this drumbeat of negativity that we've described as intrusive thinking. Intuition is a dawning, and I want to talk more about this next week. It's the coming of light. It may be as they say, a dawning, it often is a gradual illumination. Sometimes it, it, it's the intuition arrives like that archetype of the light bulb popping on when you get a good idea. The aha experience. Eureka illumination. I've got it. That's it. Who was it? Archimedes in the bathtub. Remember that story? Do you know that story? This guy's working for months on how do I discover the volume of an irregularly shaped object? You know, if it was a square, I, I could figure out the volume. If it was a circle, I'd have a sphere, I'd have no problem. If it was a cone, I know the math. But if it's some crazy shape, way too complicated, how can I figure out the volume? And he's in the bathtub one, one day, and he thought, well, if I submerge this object, it's going to raise the water level. Oh, my God, by determining the change in the volume of the water, you know, the displacement, so-called, I can figure out the volume of an irregularly shaped object. Aha, Eureka, he allegedly said. And that's where that whole idea of Eureka, I found it. It's the California state motto, Eureka. I found that the land of milk and honey, California. But again, illumination, the coming of the light. <clears throat> Sometimes it's a lid lifting, top of your head blows off, illumination. Oh my Lord, my life has changed forevermore. Whether it's the, intu so intuition comes as light, enlightenment. 
so important in spiritual growth, a realization of thoughts that arrive full-blown. Get excited about this. You mean without slicing and dicing and shredding, without deductive logic and inductive logic and devoid of all these intrusive thoughts, I can suddenly be enlightened, become aware to see what I had never seen before, bursting into my awareness, full-blown, as if already thought out some other place and then just laid out in front of me with a, a, a confirmation rush in my body that viscerally I feel that's it. That's obviously it. That's the answer I've been looking for. I now know what to do. Oh, I'm so excited. So maybe it was a lid lifting realization, thunderstruck. Maybe the light bulb popped on. More likely, it was a gradual dawning of awareness, slowly watching the sunrise. But it's always light. It's the, I think that's really profound. To wait for the light. To encourage the light. To deliberately and purposefully set logic aside, set intrusive thinking aside by just not holding on to it. Remaining in the moment. Because any thought about the past, any thought about the future, takes you away from the reality of the present moment. And that's the only reality there is. Your thoughts of the past, your memories, your recollections, they're just dreams in your head. They're images. Same with the future. You don't know. You're making stuff up. It's, you're just dreaming. It may be a nightmare. <laughs> it could be a wonderful dream, but it's fanciful in any event. It's just the images in your head. Only the present moment is real and for all those times we spend reviewing the past with regret and resentment, and I wish I could do that over again, and anticipating a future full of fear and danger and worry, and every moment that we spend in the past or the future, we miss the reality of being alive right here, right now. It's the only thing that's real is this eternal unfolding instant. And it has a rhythm. It's cyclic. There's an in-breath and an out-breath to it. There's a coming and a going. There's fear. There's love. But only in the present moment. Be here now. It's the only thing that's real. Is the present moment. So I'm going to next week explore intuition. How do we promote intuition? Now that we've looked at logic and these horrible intrusive thoughts that constantly petition us for attention, how do I promote intuition? And why didn't they teach us this in school? Why were we not taught about awareness? Somebody may have demanded that we concentrate, that we pay attention, but that sounds like an effort. I can't concentrate. Well, you have to try harder to concentrate. Whoever told us concentration is a relaxation skill. This was one of the major breakthroughs 50 years ago in so-called sports psychology that the more relaxed I am, the better I do. I've got to find that point between not caring at all and trying too hard. 
I don't care at all I'll do badly, but the harder I try, the worse I do. So where do I find the top of that bell curve? How can I turn fear into excitement? They feel the same way in the body. And how do I promote intuition, insight, and understanding that arrives full-blown, already thought out? You know what I'm talking about. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It's the language of emotions. To understand your emotions, thinking doesn't work. I'm sure you've noticed that. You think and think. It's like the rocking chair again. You think and think and think about your emotions. You're not going anywhere. <laughs> what else could we do? Stop thinking. Identifies the awareness. And as you relax and breathe and let go, that still small voice, that whisper, conscience is part of this. Not consciousness. Well, conscience is part of consciousness, but conscience is like that word C-O-N, science, with science. <laughs> that's your conscience. That's your Jiminy Cricket. That's the the part that knows right from wrong, but it knows a lot more than right from wrong. It knows the answers. In fact, the game is rigged. And I'll just say this as a postulate, let you figure it out, whether it's true or not. What if every problem you've ever had contains within it the solution? What if it's guaranteed that there is a solution enfolded within every single problem? The game is to realize it. And that's passive. That's a letting go. Standing back. Very much like a meditation, but you can do it with your eyes open. It's called mindfulness. And the more you relax, and the less you rely on thinking and worrying, logic introduced by these, uh, interrupted rather by these intrusive thoughts, the more likely you are to realize. Approach your problems with logic. If it's easy to reason your way through it and you know the answer, great. But for all those times you don't, let's learn to promote intuition. That still small voice. We have to quiet the loud voices, the negative intrusive thoughts in order to hear it and let that little whispered voice say, you know, you know what to do. This is what to do. This is where you should go. Well, I don't know if I should trust my feelings. We need to know the difference between intuition and instinct. That's what we'll talk about next week. What is intuition? How do we develop it? How do we use it to know our emotions and the meaning of their emotions, the meaning of our emotions, which is the portal to spiritual growth? There is no spiritual growth until you understand your emotions and how to manage them.